Hello, and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Sean Decker, and I'd like you to hear something. Wreck in the Sea of Ice by Locktender, featuring my pal Andrew Calacregis on guitar. Wreck in the Sea of Ice is off the album Friedrich, which we helped release a few years back, and we've still got copies of if you're looking. So I grew up in uh, Canada until I was about 10, 11 years old, was around when I moved to the States. And I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I have an 11-year-old daughter, and one of her favorite games is asking me, all the times I've gotten hurt in my life. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, man. Like, for some reason, I keep thinking, like, I probably remember stuff before this, but uh, I have been to the ER or the hospital or had surgery, or I have just, for being a pretty healthy dude, I've actually had quite a few run ins with uh, medical <laughs> issues and stuff. And for some reason, I don't know why, when you just brought up, like, oh, well, like, without really thinking about it, it's my earliest memory. I probably remember before this, but I remember in first grade, um, uh, Graham Ferguson was sitting next to me and stabbed me in the knee as hard as he could with a pencil. Uh, and basically, I remember I had to go to the hospital and get like the lead and stuff dug out. And it must have been maybe a year later, uh, I was just skipping or running or something uh, up at my uh, grandparents' cottage up in Penetanguishim up in Canada. And it was a gravelly road, and I basically fell and ripped basically my whole knee open that had just kind of been like dealt with a pencil thing and then basically ripped like half my knee off. Uh, and I basically had to go to a hospital and at that time. It was just like little like mom and pop, like small little medical clinics and stuff like that. Um, and I remember like my, I had like my dad pinning me down and probably my grandfather and stuff like that. And the doctor just screaming for me to like kind of shut up and show no showing no compassion for like a really scared like little kid you know type thing yeah um and i remember i i kind of like from that moment on kind of had a lot of anxiety and a pretty in, intense fear of uh medical stuff whether it was needles or you know stitches or this or that but i kind of kept needing <laughs> medical procedures over and over again so i don't i just remember that for some reason when you say the earliest memory um yeah, I remember that. I'm sure there's stuff I remember from before just being like a young kid camping or something like that. But for whatever reason, those two instances of uh, I still have the scar across my leg uh, today just kind of I think it's interesting because it set such a stage of me kind of having like, you know, a fear of like doctors and stuff like that and white coat uh, hypertension and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, that eventually later in life, you know, as a lot of people like might not know or, you know, I've had a lot of huge medical procedures from like open heart surgery and stuff like that at this point where, you know, I kind of spent my whole life kind of getting over these fears almost to, you know, learn how to deal with having these major medical things to where now I'm like, 
a weird medical guy where pretty much you can do almost anything to me and I'm just like kind of dead inside. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I don't, I don't know why. Just when you say ask first memory, I just re- remember Graham Sturgis, uh, Graham Ferguson stabbing me in the knee. And I remember he was my friend too. So I don't even know why it happened at the time, but I just remember getting stabbed and probably complaining to the teacher and being like, Oh, you're just making a fuss. And I was like, my knee kind of really hurts. I just remember <laughs> that for whatever reason. So, so um, like the pencil was not still sticking out. It was like got broke off or. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, it broke off and there was a piece of lead that was oh. kind of stuck in there. And I had like weird things. I hope this is not going to be me just complaining a bunch of like medical <laughs> stuff the whole time. But I, uh, it was, I think before that or had it been close to it, um, I just like, again, going to the doctor and the idea of having something like dug out of me always bothered me. So it was like having the pencil. I remember being like, oh, I don't want to go. And, you know, you have to get it dug out. And uh, earlier, my grandparents uh, kind of like belonged to this kind of like weird farm community and stuff. And I had stepped on a, a thorn and had to have that dug out of my foot. And then they didn't get all of it. I had to go back and get more dug out like months later or something like that. So, yeah, just a weird I think of every time getting something dug out, just being <laughs> all stressed out and paranoid and just, just again, just a scared little kid basically, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know for whatever reason, I don't know why that's the first one that <laughs> comes I mean, to my, comes to my, certainly, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly memorable. That's yeah, mean, like, yeah. if nothing else, it's, that's a big, yeah. The, the only instance where I've had something inside my body that had to get like sort of dug out was, um, when I was, I was younger and I was trying to open a window because I lost my key or something. I came home from school and I was trying to get this back window open and my hand went through, like, I, I just like slipped and my hand just goes boom, like through the glass. And oh, uh, man. I had like these shards of glass in my, um, arm and I was like I go down to the neighbors because my parents were home and and she was like freaking out and they I, I ended up at the hospital and um there was like some rather large shards of glass in my arm but like they didn't have to do anything intrusive at all they just literally just like boop pushed them out you know from the top oh, weird because they went in like almost like they went in small side first you know what i mean so it was <laughs> like one of them i specifically remember was like very triangular and they just like boop and just pushed it out and there was like three of them all together and they were just like boop 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 and um and then they kind of did whatever they did like little stitches or whatever and but uh yeah it was um i i yeah i i'm I will admit that like broken glass and stuff is very like I'm very skeptical of broken glass like <laughs> anywhere I see it to this day yeah. <laughs> uh, for for good reason I guess um, yeah but yeah that's that's really wild and um, yeah it's interesting to think that you know like you said like somehow cosmically that this was all preparing you for like being able to deal with these otherwise like um these situations that you otherwise i mean you 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 would rightfully be very anxious over but it giving you some kind of like measure of like relief in that department you know and then you can just worry about the like logistical you know things (laughs) Um, well it's 
it's it's interesting because it's it's again like I have a lot of stories of <laughs> you know, hurting hurting myself or just weird bad medical luck and stuff. But it's always interesting seeing you know when I've run into other people or even like you know my daughter like knock on wood like we've never been to the ER with my daughter we've never had an issue like I lived at the ER with my parents yeah. uh, as a kid growing up and it's like stuff like you know, I, I'll watch her get something like a, a splinter or something like that. And they act like it's the end of the world. And she always kind of gives me that look. Like she just knows she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Like, I can't like, kind of like, I'll try and be like supportive, but also like, you know, she's watched me have, you know, heart surgery and destroy my back and a bunch of different things and stuff. So she's kind of like, Oh yeah, I know I don't have room to complain, but it's interesting when you see someone who uh, hasn't really had to have a lot of like physical trauma when it does happen. Sometimes it seems bigger than it actually is, but her and I kind of always work on a lot of stuff like mind over matter stuff. And just even um, like I have a weird blood disease as well. So I kind of self infuse every two weeks at least. So like, it's really common for my daughter. She's grown up seeing me like taking needles and stuff like that. Um, so it's something where like, you know, growing up even she'd be like, Oh, I'm scared of this and that. And like, I show her what I'm doing and kind of keep it you know, familiar with her and stuff as well. And I think it's kind of part of at least, my upbringing is I used to get so stressed out because it would, would get hurt or be kind of like when you'd see stuff, it kind of would you know trigger you and you start freaking out. Whereas sometimes if you're more comfortable around medical situations and stuff like that, you know, my daughter's seen me, you know, give blood or I'd take her with me to the doctors or she's been with me to a bunch of different stuff. So she's just kind of like even where she normally would be inclined to like be more stressed out. I'm like, hey, like this actually like isn't that bad. Or this is kind of like a lot of the pain and stuff that you'll have is always like in your head and stuff like that and kind of like trying to work with things for to teach her how to um kind of overcome and not let it kind of get the best of her and stuff like that so at least my experiences i feel like are at least hopefully getting somewhat of a positive uh around the her and cause a little bit less stress because she's kind of you realize it's not really worth the the stress or the anxiety sometimes it uh, creates and stuff too you know yeah so yeah it can a lot of times really you know be all like not all in your head but it's just it, it it lives it lives up there in a way that's sometimes not always uh healthy and productive you know for sure yeah yeah um, definitely but yeah um so like uh when you weren't uh you know just like t uh terrorizing your own body uh <laughs> what other kinds of things were you into as a kid okay so, so my my other memory i was i was gonna say which would relate to this uh, I was very Canadian as I remember uh, getting a, a Patrick Waugh hockey stick uh, for Chris for Christmas. Uh, and I remember the handwriting. I was, I was young and I remember the handwriting was very much my father's handwriting, but it was like a Santa gift or something like that. So mm -hmm. I remember that was one of, one of the first things that started to question things a little bit, but being so excited about a hockey stick. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, back in the day before there was like, you know, Nintendo's and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different things where, you know, I see what my kids get for Christmas and stuff. I just remember like, it used to be so basic. I feel like when we were growing up, just kind of like, Oh, I'm getting a hockey stick. Like that was my big present or like some Lego or something like that. You just be like, so, so geeked for just the smallest thing, you know? But, um, yeah, I was just always super busy and, you know, kind of grew up in Canada, which is, you know, at the time was, a relative, you know, a pretty safe place to be and a good place to be a kid. And a lot of kind of those, like, you know, the stories you hear, like back in my day, like type thing, like mm -hmm. we would, you know, take off at like after breakfast and we would just be gone and we'd come home at night and we would be either 
you know, playing hockey or going swimming or hiking in the woods or just riding bikes or just kind of like, kind of, I mean, I don't think we were like one of the last generations to kind of have like kind of grown up like late eighties, early nineties, but like just having that kind of freedom before cell phones and before a lot of just constantly trying to know where everyone was all the time and just, you know, just, just being a kid, just bombing around with friends and stuff like that. And as I got older, you know, uh, getting into music a lot and things like that, but just a lot of, you know, always just active playing, you know, playing with friends, you know, exploring and stuff like that. So, and just really, just really kind of having like unlimited freedom. Like I look at what I was able to do as a kid versus like what my kids are able to do. And it, it's so wild how much stuff has changed in a couple decades and stuff, you know? So, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard to like pontificate about all of the myriad reasons why this is so, you know, or whatever, but it's like, yeah, like where I lived, um, before we moved to where I live now, like, um, you know, there was a there was an instance where, you know, someone like just a few blocks from us, like abducted the kid two houses down from them oh. and, had, oh, wow. and had this kid in in their like basement for weeks. And the police even went and questioned this guy like and he's oh, like, man. no, I haven't seen the kid and had the kid this whole time. And, and so it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's things like that happen more or it's just because the pervasiveness of news in our lives that we are aware of it more. And then, yeah. So like the idea of like, I mean, when you're saying we were just gone all day, like you could probably agree with me just from a parent standpoint, you'd be like, Oh, that sounds (laughs) wonderful. You know, (laughs) just like, you know, just to have a day where you like, just were not just like, 100% 100% like all the time like stop fighting each other stop doing this stop doing, you yeah know? yeah and uh <laughs> but then yeah you just like at the same time you're like how could you even like I I just how could you even just chill like with yeah you know with the way that things like that seem to be uh more commonplace you know these days and stuff where where you're just like how could you just be like, yeah, they're, they're just, I don't know where they are. They'll be back by sundown, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're, they're just, we have no idea where they are, what they're getting into. And, yeah. and, and, you know, for, and, and those experiences, you know, there's a lot of freedom with it, but there's a lot of like, you know, for better or worse moments that come with it too, oh, uh, sure. you know, of just being completely unsupervised, you know, young yeah. kids with uh, a lot of, you know, probably bad influences, your friends and stuff like that too, you know? So yeah. there's, I guess there's, there's good and bad to all of it, but yeah, like these days, you know, like I, I could feel my wife's like anxiety attack. I was like, Oh, where's your daughter? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. She'll be back in like five, six hours. Maybe. I don't know. It's <laughs> just right. kind of like, right. you know, just, I, 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 I look back a lot on like kind of how, uh, just, I, I've asked my parents, I'm like, did you guys just like, we were just gone. Like, Oh yeah, we just go outside and yell. I'm like, but what if we were really far away? We're like, oh, like you guys would come back. <laughs> just yeah, kind of like yeah. <laughs> very laid back, you know. Yeah. So. You said for better or worse, and you reminded me of this one instance that my brother and I and like two or three of our f- friends were like out in this creek where um, by where I grew up, and um, we just legit found like a fucking bayonet. Like just, (laughs) just the knife part that attaches, you know, like not the whole gun like situation, but 
I mean, we didn't know what it was. Like, we found it. It's a big knife. Like, we were like, what the hell? We sat around in this creek and, like, played with this knife for, like, hours, then took it home, and I think we were trying to, like, hide it and stuff. And my dad was like, what do you got? And and he's like, this is a fucking bayonet. And he, like, sort of loses his mind and stuff. But we're just like, yeah, I don't know, eight, you know, eight and four, respectively, just, like, playing around with, you know, this military-grade thing that we found, like, while we were looking for crawdads, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah. What do do you mean, Dad? It's not cool? Well, I mean, it's it's fine, you know? Yeah. Nobody cut cut themselves yet, you know? Yeah. Uh, But, wow. Um, So, like, as far as, you know, your history with music, like, how far back does it go where your parents... Uh, did your parents play instruments at all or did they just like listen to music a lot around the house or? So, so they, they didn't play. Um, but like my, kind of like music was always on in our house. I specifically like always remember as a kid growing up, it was kind of like, Oh, like Saturday or Sunday night. Like they had whatever, like at the time, like the oldie station would have, would have been, I think it's like one of the reasons, like I like all types of music, but I really have an affinity for like fifties and sixties kind of like, just that, like, you know, that Sam Cooke and, um, you know, a lot of, like, the Motown and stuff like that. Because it just, I think we listened to a lot of it um, growing up and stuff like that. And my parents um, were younger parents, like, not crazy young, but I think, if I'm trying to remember, I think they got married at 21, had me at 24. But there's a lot of stuff, like, a lot of the shirts I had as a kid was, like, oh, we're wearing, like, The Who or, like, Rush or, like, you know, a lot of these, like, concerts and stuff my parents had been to and stuff like that. And just kind of, like... They were into music, at least in terms of like being listeners. Um, so, as a, as a young kid, probably, I mean, I can't th- say exactly when, but I definitely was always kind of listening to music, um, and then kind of, you know, grew up right around the perfect time of like, you know, Nirvana and grunge and Offspring and a lot of that type of stuff. Um, and I remember, I used to listen to the radio a ton, and I remember hearing, I think, "Self Esteem" on the radio by Offspring. And I was just like a young kid, probably like seven or eight at the time. And just being like, what is that sound? Like, I was just like, for whatever reason, it just like was very hypnotizing to me. It was probably like, not that I'd consider that like a really punk song, but probably one of the first times I'd heard a band that would maybe kind of fall into like the punk category, you know? Sure. Um, So I I just, I don't know, like at the time, like I'd always have like a tape in the radio and if something was going, I'd run and try and like record it you kind of like make these like weird mixtapes and stuff like that. And I think I was about eight or nine. I got my first CD player um, for Christmas. And I think I was given uh, Nevermind and also um, I think Offspring Smash maybe at that time. And just, you know, eight, nine years old getting into CDs and just like kind of, you know, hit the the ground running from that. And there was uh, in Pickering, Ontario, where I used to live, there was this record store at the time called Moe's and my mom used to know the owner. I remember going in there and just seeing like Green Day and Silverchair and like, you know, Alice in Chains. It's like a lot of these bands and stuff like that, just being like the bands you would sit there and like write on the cover, your like, you know, notebook or something like that, or just kind of slowly getting into things. And um, I think the more I listened, I always kind of seemed to gravitate toward like uh, at the time and still now, like I think Green Day, uh, Insomniac is one of my favorite records. And I just kind of like, I know a lot of people, you know, like American Idiot or things like that. And I, I haven't listened to Green Day in forever. And funny enough, 
I actually went to go see him in concert this year with my dad, who's already seen him a couple times. He just like wanted me to go. But uh, I like, again, like I, I haven't really listened to a lot of those bands in so long, but I just seem to always have an affinity to more towards, you know, kind of the, the faster and more like punk stuff that maybe was on the radio. And that kind of led me, you know, down the path that probably a lot of us have gone on where, you know, you go from there to listening to like more maybe like fat wreck things or like, you know, Southern California punk and stuff like that. And then kind of slowly starts, you know, transitioning into like, Oh, hardcore and screamo and stuff like that as well, you know? So, um, yeah. but yeah, either way to get off on a tangent, but I, um, anyway, I was, I was super, at least to me, I think I was pretty young cause I eight or nine, like music was my life. That's like all I wanted to do. And I just really into just, you know, reading CD liner notes and getting records and getting more and just listening kind of to as much as I possibly could. Um, and around that same time, like I, again, like, um, eventually figured out, you know, the offspring was the band I liked at the time. And I remember like seeing, uh, Dexter Hall, I think playing like a black Stratocaster in like one of their videos and just being like, I want to play guitar. And I think I asked to play guitar for maybe five, six years until I finally got one. Like I, I, but I was always like, I just always thought it was the coolest thing. I was just like, I just, I don't know what I'll do with this, but I just know this is something like I want to try really, really badly. And just even like eight, nine years old kind of knew it, but it just kind of took a while for, um, while I had super supportive parents with things in like listening to music, they were kind of the parents who were like, Oh, like I want to get a drum set. It's like, Oh, it's too loud. Like that type of thing. Where mm-hmm. it was like, it just, I think took a lot more convincing to actually get an instrument than to just like actually listen to music and have that accessible, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. weird too because like you know uh, sometimes as a parent you're like well how long is this gonna last you know or something but (laughs) but like us as musical parents like i got all this stuff downstairs and nobody cares (laughs) yeah for sure but uh but the other the other day it was really surprising like my youngest came down here and for no reason known to me at the time i just hear the drums start going and and like i literally was hearing like some some like uh mid you know mid mid bpm like blast beats going on like (laughs) he's not even eight years old yet and i was just like you know looking at my partner with like a tear in my eye you know just like (laughs) yes Um, but yeah and and like some and like some like 16th rolls or something like some some real like and i was like what is going on like somebody's having a moment um that's awesome but yeah did you Uh, feel like bands like the offspring and green day and stuff do you feel like you know uh hearing that as opposed to like you know you say you had like the who and rush 
you know, shirts. So that was that kind of stuff was present to you before. Did you feel like bands like that and the simplicity of the music like made it feel accessible to you? Or was there something about the message or the just the general attitude also uh, that um, that that drew you to them? I you know what? Like I'm trying to because at the time before I got into stuff like that, like I definitely was into like, you know, oldies and stuff like that. I can remember like, you know, running down. I remember vividly as a kid running down a hill, like singing Beach Boys lyrics, like as a kid. And just like I, I definitely like resonated with like a lot of music, but something about, you know, at the time, alternative and grunge and punk and just like, I don't know, man, it's just like a weight that that music, I think, carries. And especially when you're, you know, that almost a preteen, early teens, as you get into that, like there's just something that that music carries. And I don't know, maybe, you know, in terms of thinking back to, you know, oldies and stuff like that, and there's definitely stuff that will get intense, but I, the older I've gotten and the more I've listened to and the music I've played throughout my life, I clearly, I seem to have, you know, uh, a desire to listen to and be a part of stuff that has like intensity with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and stuff that builds to something. And maybe that's maybe where I, you know, certain, you know, punk bands and grunge and stuff like that kind of at the first, you know, you listen to Nirvana and just this guy screaming his, you know, screaming his face off and just being like, Oh wow. Like I haven't, I haven't really heard that or I haven't really like, you know what I mean? I don't know if that just resonated with me more, but, um, to where I've gotten where like, you know, I seem to be incapable of like just sitting down and playing like, a couple chords like I, everything i do i want to like and then there's the build-up or here's the crescendo or yeah you know so i don't know i it's um i, I think maybe something like that kind of like hit me but all music has always kind of been like just kind of stuck in my head just always if you ask anyone around me like i never shut up i'm always whistling or singing something or just making noise i've always been a very loud person much to the demise of a lot of people around me so <laughs> i'm i'm just i'm always got I'm always tinkering with whether it's music or whistling or just I, I'm very rarely a quiet person yeah. uh, for, for better or worse. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, I think like with me, it was like, I, you know, and I, I never really like made this connection until I asked that question. But like with me, I definitely like got into um, punk music and stuff by way of like a lot of thrash like Metallica and like old, you know, old Metallica and, and, uh, suicidal tendencies and stuff. And so mm-hmm. I remember watching Headbangers Ball and you see like Rocky George ripping a solo and his hands are just everywhere. Right. So mm-hmm. then you see smells like teen spirit and this guy's hands are just in like two places and that's it. And like, yeah, yeah I mean, I remember distinctly feeling like, Oh, I could do that. Like the other yeah. thing, like, no, I can't do that other thing. Like I can't even <laughs> track that with my mind, like where th- those fingers are going the whole time, but like putting your hand in a solid shape and, and just moving it like a little bit down there eventually. Like, yeah, I, I could probably do that. And, uh, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Probably what, what a lot of people experience just like, like it seeming more accessible. Um, but yeah, did, uh, did the politics of it like, grab you right away or was that something that sort of like i mean i know that they didn't like the roundabout politics like didn't really hit me like it was mostly just the fact that they were mad at stuff you know um but did any of that click with you right away or was it just like as you 
like said, like you poured through the liner notes and stuff like that, where it was like, hey, maybe there's something more to this than just like people being mad and you know breaking. Yeah, culture. I I definitely think um, I definitely think the politics came later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of just being into music for like you know how it made me feel or like yeah. what I got out of it, like personally and stuff like that. And I know a couple moments like there was this. When I was in high school, when I lived in Texas, um, w- there was this like this screamo kind of like punk band called Fall the Season um, that my brother and I were really into, and they kind of had some like political songs and stuff like that. And I was kind of like maybe one of my first forays into like more political punk. I remember them talking about in their line of notes about how much they liked propaganda and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And as I kind of got into stuff like that, it was like so that w- that was kind of like I'd say more high school. Um, was more of like the start of least becoming more aware of political things and then really kind of getting like, you know, hit with it hard and seeing kind of like how important it is um, as I got older and especially started touring like Europe because I feel like, not that it's not in America, but I didn't see it as much um, or I see it more now with American and Canadian bands that have brought it back from Europe, but going to uh, Europe for like the first time and stuff like that and, and playing venues where it's like, oh, this is like, this is serious. Like, this is like a, a venue where they like, you know, they, they hide refugees or this is a place where, you know, anti-fascist action and stuff is all over the place. And, you know, there's a lot of things where there's a lot of people kind of like the music is important, but there's also a lot of greater political messages happening um, alongside it that kind of like are, are cool to be a part of, you know? And it's it's even, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I definitely have enjoyed... Um, a lot of the European experiences and stuff like that, a feeling like even like the places you're playing or things you're doing are like going to like a, a better cause versus like, this is just Bob's bar. And like, you know, you're going to play here and some, you know, shit rock racist band's going to play tomorrow. Or like, it's just, right. it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice being part of things where it's like, Oh, like, yeah, this is a venue where you only can play here. If you're, you know, not racist or sexist or, yeah. you know, homophobic and all those just kind of like things like that. But, but at least, yeah, long winded uh, answer. Um, I don't know if I really got into the politics, um, initially, at least I don't really remember that. I remember just a lot of like wanting to just kind of like what you're saying, like seeming, uh, seeming attainable, like being like, Oh, like I can play fast and loud or I could like, I could do that. Like getting into like punk, especially being like, Oh, I can like listen to this and kind of like kind of roughly know what's going on versus like you say, like Metallica or something like that, where it's yeah. like these, these guys are flying and like, as a, you know, it's, it's pretty intimidating to someone who like has no lessons or is like a new player being like, well, where am I supposed to even start with this type thing? You know? So, right. right. So did you get that black strat straight away? Is that what you ended up getting or no, no, I, <laughs> I love my dad, but, uh, <laughs> I think my, my dad, my dad for a lot of, uh, my musical uh, beginnings was all about the value in it. So I got an acoustic at first, which I didn't want, but I was told I need to learn to play acoustic before I can play electric. So I got the acoustic, didn't really enjoy it. It went under the bed, I think. And what I really wanted actually was play was bass. Cause by the time this was like early high school, I was obsessed with rancid and obsessed with Matt Freeman. And I was just like, I was like, man, like I just love bass. And like, you know, I just, it just seems like I really, really want to learn how to play bass. And I remember (laughs) telling my dad that, and when we were bringing the acoustic back, he's like, no, 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 you need an electric because there's two more strings. It's a better deal. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, we were like, yeah, I really, really want to play bass. He's like, 
I think it was more in his mind, like he didn't want to hear bass playing all day long. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, uh, I ended up getting, I think, you know, the Squire Strat Pack at that point, and uh, and then just kind of played. And I remember kind of having that aha moment, maybe like a month or two in, where things start clicking. And you know, at those time, at that time, like those guitar packs were like so cheap, and I just remember everything breaking and you know input jacks falling out and tuners. Brain, just just everything. I, I have the guitar still. I think it's literally gutted and not by like any of my own uh, my own actions. Just literally, just things just falling apart on it. But but yeah. So I did eventually get the black strat uh, until uh, I was able to kind of get good enough to justify getting uh, a better guitar. But yeah, I did. I did eventually end up with uh, what I always wanted, I guess. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so. And when when you first started playing, was like the goal straight away to like be in a band and and write your own songs, or were you just like, oh, I'm just excited to play and 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 you know learn how to do what I wanted to do? I, you know, I think I have to think about that. Um, I think I think I always wanted to be in a band. I think I always liked the idea of like playing music with people um again i'm a pretty social guy and obviously like songwriting is, is and I, I do majority of the songwriting for all of my bands so like it's a super introspective like kind of personal thing i do mm-hmm. um that i've realized as i've gotten older but even to this day like you know i play music and one of my favorite parts is just you know being with your you know friends or family or whoever you're with and just you know being in the van or playing shows or kind of those social things are definitely i'm always into that so um again might have been another allure of like punk music of just being like oh this is something i can do quicker so i can play with other people quicker you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but uh yeah so i definitely i think at first it was definitely i think for the social thing of like i thought it was cool and i just really always like wanted to play um and then as i've gotten older realize you know this goofy piece of wood and like metal and whatever is become like you know the way I deal with stress and just everything and songwriting and just kind of, it's become such an important, like individual thing to me that that's more important now than the social aspect. But I always love the social aspect of like getting out and, you know, going on tour, playing music for people and stuff like that, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how long was it that you were just sort of playing by yourself and, you know, like learning the ropes as it were before you were trying to play with other people and start your first bands and stuff? I was probably, let me think I would have been, I still live in Texas. So me, my buddy, Mike Runny and my buddy, Brandon Smith, uh, Mike played bass and he was actually pretty decent and Brandon played drums. And I think we were all in the same vein of, into rancid and green day and that. So I think we tried playing, uh, quite a few times. I think it was always horrible. I don't think we, ever, I don't think we ever got out of, uh, I don't think we ever got out of whoever's room or wherever we were playing. So more just buddies hanging out, you know, that type of thing. We're like, well, we all have instruments. So we're a band versus like, Oh, we've actually accomplished anything, whether it's right. writing a song or something like that, you know? So, um, probably just playing a lot of covers and messing around and, uh, I moved a lot, so I moved my junior. I moved my junior of high school, or I moved my senior of high school uh, to Michigan. And at that point, um, my brother Jason, so who plays bass and lock tender and played guitar in Men's Trees, um, 
he had a base for a while and he was actually quite good. Um, he as annoying as much as it annoys me to admit, he is very much like kind of naturally talented, especially at base. And just like, he just kind of figures things out where I, re- I remembered him being like 13 years old or 14 years old playing bass in like a guitar center or a Mars music or something like that. And like, him being propositioned by like an adult, like R and B band, see if he was available. Cause he's just like playing, you know, P funk and slapping on his bass and just like <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, him and I, him and I were, were obviously close, but I think we got a lot closer when we moved to Michigan and kind of, we were starting over again with no friends and stuff like that. And him and I maybe started playing a little bit at that point. Um, I, I played in a really awful, uh, pop punk band for a little bit, um, called red 40, and the main singer's name was Vinny Vomit. And there's a couple Michigan people who will just laugh at those names. But uh, <laughs> played a couple shows. Again, very bad, not good. Um, and from then, I remember we, my, Jason and I were playing, kind of actually, I think, maybe met Frank at that point and started Menace Trees. And I was kind of like, I remember Red 40 being like, I was like, oh, I'm going to start doing this, playing with these other guys too. And it was kind of like, you only can have one band. I was like, don't make me pick because <laughs> one of the, like well, <laughs> yeah, you won't like the choice. So, uh, so around that was probably like the first time my first real per se band, like kind of like a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of I know a lot of people with high school bands and even like toured in high school and stuff like that. And, you know, I menace trees. We always kind of joke was kind of like our learning band and we've been doing it since about, 2002 2003 and it's like if if you ever go back and look it's probably not even there to listen to but like you can see a lot of the discography of men's trees kind of like oh this this era kind of sounds like thrice and this era kind of sounds like city caterpillar and this era kind of sounds like this and a lot was kind of what we were into at the time until we kind of towards the end of it kind of figured out our own sound you know um but uh but yeah that was probably like the first like again anything up until men's trees was kind of like Eh, like more just messing around. I wouldn't consider it anything serious, you know? And that was the first time we kind of actually, you know, thought we had something with some legs on it where we kind of felt like we were making the music that you know, we wanted to or, or felt like right to be making, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of, I mean, you know, uh, you've, you've got other projects now as well, of course, but like you've kind of stuck with this core group of individuals since then. So, like you learned how to be a band and write songs, you know, but also how all the rest of this stuff works sort of together. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, I think a lot of people's uh, experiences in their early bands is just sort of, it's not necessarily to like, because you're learning how to like write songs well or whatever. It's just like how, do you do everything else? How do you decide who is the person that does these things or how do you uh, learn how to cooperate with people when you're creating something that nobody can see or touch, you know? It's yeah. it's quite different than any other kind of, uh, you know, artwork in that in that sense, you know? Um, and there, there's, there's definitely something to, to say with kind of just the chemistry you have, you know, with musicians, I don't want to say you either have or you don't. I think you definitely can learn to play with people. Sure. But we just kind of, I remember when Jason and I were first looking, we played with a couple different drummers and different, you know, singers and a couple different things. And when we kind of first played with Frank, we remember how much Frank just played really fast and was like, he just moved from California. He's very much like rooted in punk and just kind of like, we're like, 
this guy plays really fast and hard and loud. Like this will, this will work for at least building blocks for us, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot of years of, you know, I've, I've been married coming up on 19 years, I think oh, and I've yeah. known Fred, I've known Frank longer than that. So like, again, it's like something where I met him before I met my wife, you know? So it's like, we've just, we have these whole lives together. Uh, and, and like you say, like there's a lot of growing and learning and, you realize who's really good at doing this and Hey, you know, this is the person who ends up being the driver. This is the one who's going to write the songs. This is going to be the person who talks to people or wants to do merch or this is, you know, and like, you just, there's a lot of learning together, but you know, it, it is, it is nice to still be playing, uh, you know, with Frank and Jason, cause it's always kind of been us, you know, and we've had different people throughout the years and stuff like that. And, um, but you know, it's kind of was even men as trees. The joke was, Menace Trees had eight different bass players, I think, or nine. <laughs> um, and that's the reason a lot of people are like, why did you guys switch to, you know, Lock Tender after Menace Trees? And like, oh, we want to play heavier music, but also we were tired of getting new bass players. So we're like, we'll just make Jason do it. <laughs> so, uh, so there's like stuff like that. But again, it's still just been like, you know, there, there's just something about even the times we've had kind of breaks from each other, even sometimes years at a time, you know, but then we get back together and it's kind of like, laughable how much we kind of pick it back up because it's just like it, it's like uh it's so familiar it looks like the wolves aren't the only problem the caribous have what was a bull caribou doing down there where not a breath of air was stirring insects were whirling around me like sawdust blown from a power saw the bull also was having a battle with the tiny fiends stomping and shaking twisting and turning and shivering his hide between like the lock tender releases and stuff is like because people just kind of moved all around is that like y'all oh. were more central right and then you know there was, there was a lot of moving and yeah we we've been all over the place so essentially for men is trees we all lived in southeast michigan same town and while we had different bass players we all lived like in the same area you know um and then basically what happened is Ministries finished 2009, um, and Jason and I went to South Korea to teach English. Frank went to Arizona uh, for school, and then I came back quickly after that because I found out I was going to become a father. Um, and I lived on uh, the East Coast. So I was in Philadelphia. So kind of just like at first it kind of started off where, well, I was going to start a band. And I actually started talking to John Weed from Castless, um, and like the lady's not for burning, and he's just – 
was an old buddy. So at first I was playing with him and this guy, Kyle, and that was like the first versions of lock tender. Um, and then essentially, uh, things got kind of nuts. John got a new job. I had my kid. Um, and just, it just got harder. And again, I started at some point started talking to Frank and Frank had moved to Cleveland. So we started basically like, he basically came out a couple times we played and, you know, I was thinking about moving anyway. And I moved to Cleveland, Jason, uh, came back from traveling and teaching and he moved to Cleveland. So we were all in Cleveland for a while. Um, and we, I guess at that point we had hoped Nick would move to Cleveland. Um, and that, cause we were like Nick who had played bass in menace trees ended up being the main, uh, screamer for lock tender, but he was always in Detroit. So lock tender has kind of never all been in the same spot. We've always had at least one person not there. Um, so I still think we wrote a ton because we always at least had the musical core, together and nick would come down a bunch to work on things and you know for tours and shows and stuff like that mm -hmm. um but so probably like if lockton started around like 2011 maybe started putting stuff out around like 2012 maybe like at that time we probably were writing collected and i was probably working on like kafka and rodan and some split stuff like all at the same time like we had a ton of material and it kind of like came out as we had time to put it out or had people to put it out, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then the record that kind of took a long time was Friedrich. And Friedrich just was supposed to be a two song EP. And we just kind of got so enamored with the, uh, the material that we were just kind of like, you know, I think this is going to um, I think this is going to be something that we are going to want to put more into. And it coincided around the time that I moved to, um, let me think. So Rodan would have probably came out around 2014. And I guess Friedrich probably came around around 2017, 18. And basically the main reason for the gap is I moved to Western Michigan. So I was five hours from Jason Frank, Nick's still in Detroit. So we're all far away from each other. And I'm the main kind of like, it's a lot of, I write and then I show everyone and we work on it and stuff like that. So, especially with me being gone, it's harder to kind of make progress, you know? Right. Um, and basically that was, I moved in in 2014 and we probably were practicing long distance. And about a year later is when I needed heart surgery. So that definitely messed up things for a while. Um, and then I also her <laughs> herniated disc in my back like a couple months later. So there's just a lot of things where distance and just stuff like that, it just, took a lot longer to put out and we just were spending a lot of time it seemed like rewriting parts and trying to be like this is good but can we make it better and just really trying to come up with something that felt like a consistent all together idea you know um mm -hmm. so i think that's maybe towards the end that's why locked in her stuff has taken longer and then initially kind of you know going on a little hiatus uh after that um has led to <laughs> you know there not being anything recently and stuff like that yeah. at least record at least recorded but at least that would be the reason up until about friedrich why it kind of took a while because there was just again being five hours away from each other and we are all admittedly like terrible with like using computers to record music and stuff like that we're very much like uh get in a room together to make things happen you know mm -hmm. versus like and just a lot very much like i feel like we write based on like feel and stuff like that so mm -hmm. um yeah, it just yeah, it just took a lot longer than I think any of us really ever anticipated. But ultimately, we were happy with the record at the end. So it's kind of like glad we put the time in, you know. So right. Did you was there a feeling at the time that it might be the last thing that y'all did as well? Oh, to, oh yeah, totally. So yeah. 
Um, well, like so, free, a lot. Some of the ideas with Friedrich started with Menace Trees, and we did kind of talk about how it would be a nice way to kind of round things off by ending with Friedrich as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's hard to say because, like, I think there was a lot of us just trying to finish. I'd say, like, in the, the Loctander camp, there's probably half of us trying to finish the record, half of us trying to finish it so then we could, like, keep being a band and touring and stuff like that. So having, you know, some conflict there and just, like, disagreements over, like, what kind of the goal of the band was. Um, on top of just around the time Frieder came out, just everyone's life was changing so much that, you know, for the majority of Loctender, there was one kid. Like, I had a daughter and that was it. Like now between, you know, between the four of us, there's eight kids, you know? So it's like, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that changed. And, you know, I I think we've all, as we're playing again, um, and definitely like enjoying it. And like, again, I I love making music with my brother and it's it's an excuse to see him and stuff like that. And it's great to get, you know, Frank back in the game and stuff like that again. Um, But yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot. I think, I think, I think when we did the record, not that we thought that was it, but the the 2018 tour that Nick and I did without Jason and Frank, I kind of feel like we kind of thought that might have been like that might have been it, you know, just yeah. to kind of like, let's at least do the record, help get rid of records for our label, Ingo, our label and you and just just kind of like try and like get records out there and stuff like that. And just kind of like, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, I love writing music, but like getting the record out and doing like a tour is kind of like the reward. Like that's to me, like the really, really fun part of being in a band, you know? And mm-hmm. I think we all kind of like really wanted to like, at least see that through and give like a, a chance to play some of these songs live. And yeah, I don't know. I think there was a lot of kind of like after that tour, kind of like this might be it or maybe it's not, or just kind of, it's so hard to say. Cause you know, especially with everyone with young kids and jobs changing and stuff, it's like, we're not your normal band. Like if we were, if it's back in the college days where, Oh, like there's six dudes who live in a house and we can have band practice three times a week and stuff like that. You know, it's like, you know, Jason, <laughs> our bass is Jason, like literally like runs a brewery. Like our Frank, our drummer is a biochemist, like, and runs like, you know, his old board game company and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Our singer, our singer, Nick is like, works for NAFTA doing like free trade agreements and stuff like that. So it's like, there's a, there's a lot of things that just like, yeah, obviously this is going to get a lot more complicated. And, um, you know, I, I, at first when I was younger, I'd be like, why would bands ever go on hiatus? And then I kind of like see more of how like, Oh, I see just kind of like life gets in the way. And, uh, you know, you kind of unfortunately stumble into them sometimes as much as you want to play music. And I'm always going to be, you know, music's always my very main thing. So it's always going to be something that it's hard for me not to push or to understand why someone wouldn't want to do it for a period of time. But, um, you know, I can appreciate what everyone's going through. I think they'd appreciate what I go through and just kind of like, you know, trying to see what we can do to keep doing it in the future, which is kind of where we're at now where we're kind of playing again and kind of getting back into it while most of us probably didn't think it was going to happen again, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. But in the meantime, you did start, you, you did start another project with uh, Russell from the reptilian. Um, yeah. How, so how did that all come together? Was it just like, well, I'm going to have a lot of free time and we're all kind of in the same area and it's a different vibe that I've always wanted to try. Yeah, it very much. Um, so Reptilian did the, we toured Europe in 2014 with Lock Tenor and we brought Reptilian with us. 
and we had known them forever. Like I think we played reptilians like second show or something like that in Chicago. We played some crazy stack bill. It was like menace trees, reptilian, I think native line of the North, Latrec and someone else. It was just, it was stupid. It was like, yeah. you look back now and you're like, what? <laughs> like kind of these ridiculous, you know, uh, bills. And we kind of met them at that point. And then we started playing Kalamazoo and then we did a couple, you know, uh, week tours and stuff like that with reptilian and just, they were just good buddies of ours. And, um, Russ and I kind of connected a lot on tour and I kind of found out really shortly after I got back from that tour that we were going to be moving to the West coast of Michigan. Um, which I was on the fence about until I kind of realized like, Oh, it's, you know, really pretty out here and kind of a good place to live and have a family and if you're into nature and that type of stuff. Um, and I realized it wasn't too far from Kalamazoo. So pretty much Russ, I think was one of my first calls of like, what are you up to? And then we just kind of started pack sounds and started writing songs. And, um, that band has definitely been very slow going, but, uh, it's been, again, a nice outlet for me during the slow times of, you know, locked in and stuff like that to have something else to work on and stuff. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so just kind of like stumbling into that with Russ and, um, yeah, so I play in that and then, um, I haven't really been too vocal about it, but, um, I'm in another band with Russ based in, uh, Indiana called Jigalchi now. Um, that's kind of with a friend from Korea and Russ is playing keyboards and I'm kind of playing guitar and like weird tunings. And it's another band I kind of am in as well. So kind of have this nice little balance of like, if one band's kind of slowing down or can't really do much for a while, it seems like I can get into one of the other ones is busier and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. where in Indiana are you traveling to, to do this thing? So it's based out of Goshen. Oh, um, okay. yeah. So, and Russ actually moved from Kalamazoo to Goshen. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, so it, and it's weird. It's kind of like a, I almost had to guess it's kind of like a riffy post-rock band, like maybe in the vein sometimes of like Do May Say Think or things like that maybe, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's just been, again, I was doing it when I started that band um, over COVID because we kind of locked out that um, our horn player and my friend from Korea kind of had like a really big practice space. And then we ended up at our drummer's practice space, which was the back of a music store, which was like really, really huge and air conditioned. We'd all like kind of wear masks. And it was kind of like a weird way we figured we'd kind of like, you know, without too much risk, be able to like still play music and stuff. So that band's only played two shows, um, but we've kind of practiced consistently for most of COVID because we just kind of had an ideal situation to make it happen, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so anyway, so with Mr. Russell, uh, two bands with him and he even filled in on bass on the Lockfinner tour. So technically he's been in all three of my bands at points. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, incredibly musician for sure. And, uh, yeah. as far as I can tell, a real stand up person as well. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we already touched on the fact that like lock tender is playing again and everything, but, um, and and pretty much like you know why that's really it felt quite natural for everyone and everything but um w- what is like do you have like goals or is it like let's just see what this is like let's just see what this is like to do this again like are you like you're just like sitting on these riffs that are just like, these are locked tender songs and you just want to get them out there. Like what's um, sort of like your next moves as far as uh, that goes. So it's, so I guess 
kind of what we were saying like earlier about like we kind of when we put Friedrich out, I think kind of we were like, hey, this might be it or it for a while type thing. Um, and then especially when we did like the last European tour, we're kind of like, all right, you know, this I think this might be done. Um, one of the things that I think Lochtener has going for it for its longevity is that, you know, Jason and I are brothers mm-hmm. and doing the band is an excuse to get together. And also it's just like, it's our passion. You know, it's this thing we've kind of created and we love talking about music. And, um, you know, I think there were times when I thought it'd be done, but then it's just, it's so hard to not be like, Oh, Hey man, how's it going? Like you playing guitar, what are you doing? Or what are you up to? Or, Mm -hmm. Hey, have you checked out this? Or, you know, talk, whether it's talking about music or just things we're up to, or, you know, being in the middle of COVID with kids, you know, throwing up on you and just being like, ah, remember, remember when we used to tour Germany, like, you know, stuff stuff like that. So I I think there's a lot of things that if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for how close Jason and I are and and maybe Frank too, just because, you know, he, we always joke, he's like an honorary Cal Craigus a lot of times. Um, You know, I, I think that kind of drawed us together quite a bit. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know. So we basically, we started talking again about heavier music of all the bands. Uh, Jason and I both got really into, uh, bong ripper <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I was going to guess Coma Regalia, but yeah, well, well same, oh no, well, same difference. Comer, we've always <laughs> been a Coma Regalia, so, but, uh, but no, we, um, we, and oddly enough, um, I think he was going to go see a show with like confer converge and like Mashuga and maybe torch or something like that. And at some point I was like, I got confused and thought bong ripper was playing. And I was like, just for funny, I was like, Hey, I'm going to come up to that bong ripper show. And he's like, bong ripper's not playing that show. And I was like, what? And I hadn't really, I, I hadn't really like started listening to bong ripper yet. Um, but for, through whatever about it, I started listening to the album terminal by bong ripper, which like, again, I'm not really, I wasn't really into super into like doom or like stoner metal or any stuff like that. But just the album is all like it's super heavy, detuned, and just like kind of like got me talking with Jason about music again. And at the time, Jason had actually gotten a baritone guitar from Reverend um, and he was playing that a bunch. And we just started kind of like talking about like, hey, like we should play again. And I think Frank would be down. And, uh, you know, what if we tried doing something a little bit heavier or different tuning? So Lock- Ministries is always an E standard. Lock tender was always in D standard. Um, and we kind of like in a weird way started to end up writing songs or I'm writing songs now, um, in, uh, B standard and like baritone tuning. So okay. playing, playing a lot. And it's weird. Cause I, you think, Oh, it, you know, Lock is going to start a sludge band and definitely like we can get heavier than we have in the past, but I found a weird, you know, trade off that I've also been able to like play really pretty stuff and like, really interesting chords and for singing and stuff. It's actually like really nice too. So, um, yeah, it's weird. We just kind of been like tinkering around with that. And we just kind of started like, Hey, you know, let's get together and start playing music. And unfortunately, um, Nick's life is pretty crazy right now to where basically he doesn't really, he basically, I told you he's like doing like a, uh, a NAFTA, like free trade, like, um, broker and stuff like that. So I think there's even things like there's legality issues he has with ever wanting to travel with music and stuff again because of what his job is. On top of, I think, after the last tour, I think he was kind of done screaming as well. So we've kind of gone a couple different ways where, you know, I think he's going to take a step back and doesn't really 
you know, it's not really the right time for him anymore for lock tender. Mm-hmm. And initially we were kind of talking about like, you know, what we were going to do and how we wanted to like, you know, we never really got to play Friedrich too much live. So kind of half of lock tender, at least at this point is practicing Friedrich and hopefully working with our new, um, our buddy who's going to fill in and hopefully be our new singer. And then the second part of it is kind of writing in this new baritone tuning. Um, and this, we haven't tried this yet. I'm pretty confident it'll work out because Jace and I have obviously like played guitar together in Menace Trees and like we really enjoy it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the second half, so practice old stuff. And the second half is we're kind of, kind of trying to revert back to a Menace Trees setup. So I'll play guitar. Uh, my brother Jay will play baritone, Frank will play drums, and then our buddy will hopefully play bass and do vocals and stuff. So, um, yeah, kind of like getting into something a little bit new, and we've kind of been joking, calling it like kind of our third phase, like Ministries was one, Lock Tender was two, and this is like still Lock Tender, but kind of like different tunings and just trying something a little bit different, and I don't know, just kind of in this weird, you know, COVID landscape, it's kind of like, what the hell you know like why not you know it's the the pressure of touring or hey we have to do this or something like that is gone i mean kind of just like well it's just practice our old, old stuff so we can play shows if we want and kind of try something a little bit new and different and see uh, how it turns out and stuff you know so yeah. oh, um sorry if that's very scatterbrained history or i'm sure i'm missing a bunch of facts or something like that but um but anyway, that's at least where we are today you know which is exciting for me because you know i didn't play music with jason and frank since we recorded Friedrich, which was like 2017. Um, so it definitely was a while of us not really playing together. And it's, it just feels good to kind of be back at it and playing together again. And that was my conversation with Andrew Calacragus. Thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time to chat with me. Also, special thanks to anyone who helped me cover the podcast hosting fees this last week. They bill me the same time every year, and it's always some kind of surprise. Until next time, take care and do good things.